invite you to turn in your Bible uh, with me tonight to John chapter 21 and to keep your Bible uh, open, uh, keep it available, uh, whether that's printed version on your phone, whatever it might be. Tonight we're going to have a, a topical sermon uh, on the topic, uh, I'm just calling this the drama of preaching. And we'll be looking at a variety of texts, and so I'll be asking you to turn um, at different points in the message, and so just be ready uh, to do that. We're going to start just by reading John 21, where Jesus um, reinstates Peter after Peter's horrific fall into, um, into sin, as Peter denies that he knows Christ. And, and uh, Jesus now just wonderfully, graciously uh, calls Peter to the most incredible uh, mission and task, the, that of feeding his sheep, of caring for his flock. And uh, that's what we're going to read in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 18. And when they had finished breakfast, this is after Jesus of Christ uh, has, has risen from the dead and he's now presenting himself to the disciples and to others. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to, him, said to him, feed my sheep. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Well, God in heaven, we thank you that you have, uh, Lord, ordained preaching to be the means by which you speak to men today through your word, by your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that uh, Jesus Christ is presented and, and eternal life is manifested through the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Lord, bless us as we delight in this truth tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask you, uh, what is the most uh, amazing, miraculous, um, astonishing thing you ever saw or experienced? What's the most amazing, miraculous, astonishing thing you ever saw or experienced? Maybe for some of you, it was the birth of a child, and you were just blown away by the reality of a, of a new little baby, this fully formed human now suddenly into the world and belongs to you. Uh, for others of, of you, um, and I have to confess, when I asked this question of myself, the first thing I thought about was Kirk Gibson's home run in the uh, World Series, um, both the 1984 version and when he's playing with the Dodgers. We were in L.A., and I think it was 87, I don't, but um, the Dodgers were playing the, uh, the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's were just hugely uh, the favorite, and Kirk Gibson could barely walk, and he didn't play the first, uh, first game of the World Series because he was injured. And yet uh, they were down uh, two to one in the ninth inning. Um, Eckersley was on the mound for, for Oakland A's, and he was absolutely unbeatable. You could not, Dennis, actually, you couldn't hit him. And Kirk Gibson comes up, and I don't know if you've ever seen it. I, I'm kind of getting carried away here, but um, he is, he can barely, he swings, he can barely stand up, and somehow on a 3-2 pitch, uh, he managed to reach out and hit a home run, and the place comes apart. And I remember I was sitting in the living room in, in uh, Chino, and just almost in tears. I can't believe what I just saw. I can't believe what I just saw. Um, what is it for you? What's the most astonishing, amazing thing that just about brought you to tears? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that preaching, gospel preaching, ought to be in that category. 
of the most amazing, miraculous, astonishing thing that you've experienced. Because preaching, the preaching of the gospel is supposed to be the most, it's meant to be the most dramatic, transformative, miraculous event on the planet earth today. It is the power of God unleashed. The light of God being revealed. The creating, sustaining, life-giving, devil-defeating word of Jesus Christ let loose in a dark and lost world. Uh, there, is, there is no more miraculous event happening in the world today than what happens when Christ speaks through the preaching of His Word. I, um, as you know, I, I, some of you, a very few of you may have heard this message before. Um, I, I, I preached this when uh, John Terrell was uh, installed. And so if you're thinking, this sounds familiar, it, does, it is familiar. But I think it's a truth that I wanted the whole church to hear. Um, because preaching is something we can just easily take for granted. We can, if you need to pull that shade down, all right. <laughs> um, preaching is meant to be, no, excuse me. Um, we come to church and we sit down and we listen to a sermon and we sort of evaluate good sermon, bad sermon, liked it, didn't like it, was moved, wasn't moved. But what is preaching actually meant to accomplish in the life of a church? Why is it so important? Uh, Brandon Meeks wrote an article uh, entitled, Why Calvinists Can't Preach, and he, he says, it was tongue-in-cheek, but he said this, he says, sermons aren't commentaries, sermons are events. Sermons are glimpses into glory. To hear a sermon should be, should be to catch a sight of Christ. To hear a sermon should be to feel the wind of heaven in my face or to, um, re to receive an edict from the throne room because God is speaking. One should feel the tremors from the thunder of Sinai and the rumble of rending rocks at Calvary's mountain. One should not, however, think he has wandered into Mrs. Smith's third grade class on book report day. That preaching is supposed to be a dramatic event. And that's why I'm, I'm just highlighting this tonight, the drama of preaching. Preaching is meant to accomplish things, and, and the question I want to ask tonight is, what is it meant to accomplish? Why did God give us this thing called preaching? What does He intend to do? Uh, I'm, I've listed five things. I'm, I'm sure there are a few more you could add, but I think these capture uh, what we find in Scripture, what preaching is meant to do. The first thing I'd like to point out is preaching is meant to feed sheep, Christ's sheep. In John chapter 21, we have this marvelous account of, of Jesus reinstating um, Peter, sinful, repentant Peter, who, who must have been absolutely convinced that he, uh, there was no part he could possibly play in the kingdom of God, in the, the cause of Christ, after he had sinned so grievously. And yet Jesus calls Peter specifically to himself and asks him these questions, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, of course, as we read, Lord, you know that I love you. And, and Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's grieved. He's, it, it, it just crushes his spirit that, that Jesus keeps asking this question. Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And, and it's true, Peter does love Jesus. But to, every, to, uh, to Peter's reply, Jesus then has this command, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter is called uniquely uh, by Christ to tend the sheep of Christ, to feed the sheep of Christ. And Christ's commission to Peter is the ordering principle of preaching ministry. 
That's why in Acts chapter 6, the apostles will say there's this um, unrest going on. Some of the widows are complaining that they're being neglected in the mercy ministries. And the apostles say it would not be right for us to abandon prayer in the ministry of the word. We've been... um, this other mercy ministry is real and important. Physical, physical needs matter, but spiritual needs matter too. And Christ has called us to feed the sheep with spiritual food. And so you find, um, as you just read through the book of Acts, Peter and Paul and Timothy and, and Philip, they go preaching. They're preaching the gospel. Paul will say to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word. God's primary means of feeding the sheep is through Uh, gospel preaching. Now, the drama of that truth, you can can kind of just say, okay, interesting. Well, there's great drama in that, and and that drama is situated in the middle of three realities. One being the reality of the value of the sheep, the significance of the sheep. These aren't just a a gathering of people who are maybe mildly interested in theological things or people who have interest in spiritual things. When Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep, Jesus is talking about people that he gave his life to purchase. And so when when, um, Paul meets with the, the elders of Ephesus there in Miletus, He reminds them um, that these guard the flock, take care of the flock, which Jesus purchased with his own blood. You're not just caring for, this isn't just an organization. It's not just a congregation. These are souls Jesus knew before the foundation of the world. Jesus loved, the Father loved, gave Jesus to them. Jesus purchased them, as we saw this morning, with his own blood. So you have the, <clears throat> the otherworldly value, the incalculable significance of the sheep of God. That's on one hand. Then you have the desperate need of the sheep. They need to be fed the word of God. It's how they live, right? So Moses will say to, uh, to the people of Israel, <clears throat> do not neglect these words. They are your life. They're your life. Bind them on your forehead. Tack them up on the doorpost. Talk about them when you're, when you're getting up and when you're, when you're lying down. When you go in, when you, when you we go out, when you come in. This word is no small thing. It is your life. The sheep need the word. Luther says this, Martin Luther says, Let us consider it certain and firmly established that the soul can do without anything except the word of God. And that where the word of God is missing, there is no help at all for the soul. Luther then goes on to say, if it has the word of God, it is rich and lacks nothing. Since it is the word of life and truth and light and peace, righteousness, salvation, joy, liberty, wisdom, power, grace, glory, and every incalculable blessing. But there is no more terrible disaster with which the wrath of God can inflict men than a famine of hearing his word. And Luther knew what he was talking about. He lived in a day and age where there was almost no preaching. And people were starved for the word of God. So you have the value of the sheep. You have the need of the sheep. 
And then you have the other great reality, which is the glory and sufficiency of Jesus Christ to feed the sheep. That everything the flock needs is found in the Word of God and specifically found in Jesus Christ. Ministers don't have to go digging for something that may be of some use or value. It is right here. Jesus Christ will feed his sheep through his word. He's fully sufficient. You see, the tragedy then is when ministers or when churches just go unfed, when, when, when they are who they are as the blood-bought sheep of Christ, and they need what they need, the riches of the word of Christ, and, and Jesus is fully sufficient to supply every need, and then the minister fails to, pre- to present it. That's, that's an incredible tragedy. But what a blessing when God gives ministers who, who open the word and feed the sheep so that Christ can nurture his flock. It's a wonderful thing um, that God has done in the, in the gift of preaching. So preaching, first of all, is meant to feed the sheep. Preaching, second of all, is intended to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So you have the Great Commission. Go, therefore, into all the world to make disciples. Baptizing them. So they're being converted and baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Notice when Jesus gave the Great Commission, it wasn't go preach. He didn't say go teach. He said go make disciples. And the preaching and the teaching are to the end of disciple making. Disciples are people who know Jesus, and they learn Jesus. They follow Jesus. They're students of Jesus. And Jesus has called the church to that mission. Through preaching and teaching, people are made disciples. I'd like you to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, where Paul picks up this thought of the necessity of preaching for disciple making. Paul has just, um, in verses 5 and following, delighted in the gospel truth that uh, everyone, verse 13, notice, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is such a wonderful, wonderful truth. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then we have the question, verse 14, well, how then will they call on on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? Uh, Paul, so he says, here's this glorious gospel. Jesus is sufficient to the salvation of any and all. And everyone who calls on his name will be saved, but they need to hear about it. How can they call on the one they've never heard and not just they've heard? How can they call on him if they've not heard about him? But how can they call on him if they've not heard him? Jesus himself speaking to them through the preaching of his word. So our preaching is, is um, to make disciples, to call people to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to call people to follow Jesus Christ. The question that I think we need to ask in our, in our church and our churches is, is simply that, is our preaching making disciples? Are people learning Christ? Are people putting on Christ? Are people following Christ? Are we being molded more and more, week by week, year after year, into people who are defined by the reality of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Well, what kind of preaching accomplishes disciple-making? And of course, it's the kind that shows them the truth and the beauty of Jesus. And that's my next point I'd like to make, is that preaching is revealing, placarding the glory of Jesus. If you go to Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, we were in this a few uh, months ago. Maybe remember what Paul says in chapter 3. Verse 1, remember the, the great thing, uh, the, the, the conflict that's happening in the church of Galatia where Peter and even Barnabas have been led astray to they separate from the Gentiles and, and they've, uh, they're not living in truth with the gospel. And Paul is, is pulling his hair out, he's, he's upset, he's frustrated. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul there is reminding them of his preaching ministry. The word portrayed means uh, placarded, means to put up a public notice like a billboard. And, And Paul is reminding them that through his preaching, they saw Jesus crucified. Like with their own eyes. It was like Paul had taken them by the hand and led them to Mount Calvary and explained to them everything that was happening. Um, the, the, the soldiers, as they lifted up the cross and put the, the, the nails through the hands and the feet and who Jesus was and why he was there. And Paul says, remember, I, I, I put it right in front of your eyes. You, you, you saw Christ, the Son of God, hanging there, Cursed, bearing your sin, pardoning your guilt, clothing you in his own righteousness. And that was all accomplished through Paul's preaching to them. As he opened the scriptures and explained to them how uh, everything in the Old Testament points ahead to Jesus Christ and explaining the reality of the Messiah from Old Testament scriptures. Paul says, I, I placarded, portrayed Jesus right before you. That's what preaching is meant to do. I'd like you to turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It's a wonderful verse. Uh, Titus, if you're not sure where it is, just go to Hebrews, a little bit larger book, and then come back uh, through Philemon, and then you'll be in Titus. Titus chapter 1. Just speaking about the revealing, manifesting ministry that uh, that preaching accomplishes. So Paul, verse 1, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. So he says, God has done two things. God promised eternal life before the ages began, and God manifested eternal life in the preaching of Paul. Once again, the word here is to reveal, to make clear, to make plain um, this truth that, and it's a notice, God is doing the action. Here in Titus 1, it's not Paul manifesting the truth about eternal life. It's God manifesting the truth of eternal life through Paul's preaching. 
God is doing something. God is at work. God is opening eyes to the necessity of eternal life and the, the reality of eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. That's what's meant to happen in preaching. Eyes are to be opened, and the, the, the things of God, the truths of God, are suddenly evident. They're clear as God makes them clear through preaching. Um, so preaching is to feed the sheep. Preaching is to make disciples. Preaching is to reveal the truth about Jesus and the truth about eternal life in Him. Preaching for is meant to be an exercise in spiritual warfare. So um, preaching is, is to be an engagement of the kingdom of God with the, with the forces of darkness, the powers of this world. And so Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 2.4, my speech and my message we're not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So Paul says, I don't come to you with Greek wisdom. I don't come with these plausible, um, you know, sort of well-reasoned arguments for why you should believe this or do that. What I come with is the message of God, and through, though Paul himself is weak, the message is mighty. And through the... As Paul preaches the word, preaches the gospel message, right? He's engaging in spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Preaching, you see, is, is, as, as the word is open, the word is very confrontational, as it exposes the lies of the world, the lies that we believe, um, it, it, it exposes the things that we've given, the, the, the lies, the deceptions that we've given ourselves to, and, and the word then confronts us with our desperate need and presents us Jesus Christ, and you see, is the, the, the gospel then, which is the, the, the content of what we preach, it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation. The sword of the Spirit, and, and uh, that sword, right in the hand of a, of a gospel preacher, is a, is a mighty weapon of aggression against the kingdom of darkness. How did the church advance in its day? It advances, people went preaching, holding up the Word of God and preaching the Word of God and Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. That's how the gospel advances. That's how the church advances. That's how the gates of hell are beaten back. And it happens both as we engage in our community. It happens as we engage in our own heart, our own home. How, do we, how are we going to do spiritual warfare? Through the word of God and the preaching of the word. Jared Bumper says, God has chosen the preaching of the gospel to open blinded eyes, to set captives free. He has chosen to use preaching to move people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God and to change unbelievers into disciples of Jesus Christ. Preaching is to be an exercise of spiritual power. It's one of the things I really think we need to ask ourselves uh, and, or just maybe raise our level of expectancy. Uh, do we believe that this word of God is mighty? And that when the spirit of God takes this word of God, it's invincible. And do we expect in people's lives to be transformed? If, if uh, you knew that there was a uh, complete, permanent cure for COVID, how would it change your conversations with people at the barbershop about COVID? You'd be saying, 
man, let me tell you, I found this doctor. He's got this treatment. Uh, knocks it out. For everyone who takes it, 100% effective, forever. Well, we could, we could have that conversation. Death? Let me tell you. Guilt, shame, sin, judgment. Uh, there's a pill called the gospel. And everyone who takes the gospel, everyone who receives the gospel, is eternally cured from sin and death and judgment and hell. That's a very exciting message. That's how we engage in this warfare. Let me, uh, fifthly and finally, preaching should be an encounter with the living God. I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There's an interesting conversation going on here towards the end of the chapter, orderly worship. Uh, and Paul is he's talking about, what are we going to do? You know, verse um, 20, um, well, he's talking about the, verse 13. Someone speaks in tongues, and um, there seems to be everyone sort of speaking in tongues, and Paul's saying, I, uh, verse 19, I, in the church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Um, tongues, verse 22, are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. And then notice what he says. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders, unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Now, whatever you, you, you know, how do you, whatever you want to interpret tongues, the, Paul's point is that pe people are going to come in from the outside. They're going to say, what are you talking about? Uh, it's not discernible. It's not intelligible. These people have just lost their mind. But if all prophesy, which is speaking the word, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, then what happens? He's convicted by all as the word is being spoken. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. That's, that is um, spiritual warfare taking place, and suddenly people find that they're they're just being exposed. They're being, they're being revealed, which is exactly what we, we hear um, well, the word does, Hebrews chapter 4, 12, where it says the word of God is living and actor, active, sharper than a two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, how many times don't people come to, um, to church just because maybe, maybe uh, someone invited them or because they just want to figure out what's going on so they can refute it and rebuke it, and suddenly they find that themselves, they, they themselves have been rebuked. Uh, I remember Rick Phillips just saying uh, he walked into church. Um, he thought he'd get a little religion. He thought it might be good for, for his future. Um, he was on a career track, and he goes to 10th Presbyterian, and he listens to a sermon by uh, James Boyce, and he's converted on the spot as the secrets of his heart are exposed. That's what the word does. But notice now, so here's the power of preaching as, as the secrets of people's hearts are being exposed and they're being opened and laid bare before God. And notice what they say. Falling on his face, he, the unbeliever, will worship God and declare that God is really among you. There ought to be in preaching, in a worship service, an experience of the presence of God through his word by his spirit. That God's presence is experientially known. 
when preaching is properly functioning. Frederick Buchner has a little book called uh, Telling the Truth. It's about preaching. And he says that when people come to church to hear a sermon, they come hoping for a miracle. He says that they don't even really know that's what they're hoping for. It's a, but it's this deep longing that uh, they want to experience the presence of God. They want to hear a word from God. So Buchner writes this, the miracle they are waiting for is that he, the preacher, will not just say that God is present because they've heard it said before and it has made no great or lasting difference to them. That he will not just speak the word of joy and hope, but that he will somehow make it real to them. They wait for him to make God real to them through the sacrament of words as God is supposed to become real in the sacrament of bread and wine. That preaching has a sacramental element to it, that it in some way becomes a tangible experience of the grace of God. Um, I, I came across an article by Mark Beach, wrote uh, this in the Mid-America Journal of Theology back in 1999. And he talks about Calvin and Luther's view of preaching, and both of them have a, a similar view of preaching. Let me just reference Calvin. Calvin thought of preaching as the primary means by which God's presence becomes actual to us and by which God's work is accomplished in individual life and in the community. Preaching for Calvin was not only a moment of worship, but also something of a divine epiphany, a divine revelation. In preaching, the Holy Spirit uses the words of of the preacher as an occasion for the presence of God in grace and mercy. In this sense, the actual words of the sermon are comparable to the elements in the sacraments. Well, that's Calvin. Um, So, and it's Paul. So I think we're on pretty good grounds to say that when preaching is happening as it ought to be happening, we should expect to experience the presence of God. Uh, A divine epiphany. That there should be an experience of God speaking to your heart, God exposing you and God comforting you, God speaking to you, to you, through his word, by the Holy Spirit. It's what you find happening when preaching happens in the, in the, in the book of Acts. So from the first sermon we have, Acts chapter 2, um, Peter preaches about Jesus Christ, the one that they crucified. And, um, and now is, is God has made him both Lord and Christ. I assure you, Peter says. And men are cut to the heart. And what do they do? They cry out and say, what must we do to be saved? Because they've just seen Jesus, the one they've crucified. And they understand the, the reality of the judgment of God and the necessity for salvation. And they ask, what must we do to be saved? Well, that's sort of the template of, of gospel preaching. Um, and you'll find through the book of Acts, when there's a message, you'll, Luke will record the response. Preaching always calls for a response because God is speaking. God is speaking. It's why the, uh, the drama of preaching is, is absolutely uh, unique. God is talking through the message, through the word. Uh, if you, um, we had a prayer meeting last month. Paige Vanderway gave her testimony. And um, Paige talks about being 13 years old 
and sitting in a service, um, it, was a, it was a joint service that we had, I think Presbyterian, or the General Assembly was in town, so we rented uh, a gym, and uh, all the churches of our Presbyterian came together, and the men from the uh, General Assembly were there. I had the opportunity to preach, and I preached on um, the, the, the publican and the, and the, the, uh, the tax collector, so the, the, um, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, um, and they, they come up to the temple to pray, and just walk through what would have happened there at the temple, the sacrifices that would have been made. And, and, and God, Paige testifies to how God just used that message to expose her heart. That she was the Pharisee and, and didn't understand her need for grace. And, and, and God used that in her heart in a memorable way. How many of us can't remember God doing that in, in our own life? Of some, some message or series that, that suddenly we became awake in a new way. Uh, or maybe God spoke in a time of particular need when we were uh, doubting and a word of assurance came or we were um, in great pain and, and a word of comfort came. Isn't, it, isn't this exactly why we come? Because we want to hear a word from the Lord. We need to hear a word from the Lord. We need to be fed the truth of Jesus' word. We need to hear Jesus talking to us again in his word. It's exactly why we come. So that's what preaching, friends, is meant to do. That's why preaching is unlike anything else in the whole world. There, there are no parallels to preaching in this world. There's nothing else like it where God reveals himself. God shows us the, 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 the truth of Jesus. God manifests the, the, the wonder of eternal life. God uh, pre presenting himself in saving power and ministering to us and leading us along. If you talk to an old saint and, and ask them, how, how have you been able to stay in the faith through all these years? They'll talk about prayer, they'll talk about reading their Bible, and they'll talk about God's ministry of preaching. How God used his word through the preaching to build up their faith, to bind, to bind them to Christ, to encourage them, to hold them fast. And so, friends, um, I would encourage you, pray for those who preach. Pray for your pastors. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 19, pray for me that I might boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I would boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray for boldness for, your, for, for pastors, for preachers. Pray, pray for an, a, a clarity when we come to the word of God to understand it, a, an ability to clearly and boldly um, explain it, uh, expound it, but, but pray above all for, for the voice of Jesus Christ to be heard through it, for the Holy Spirit to take those words and minister those words to the hearts of his people. Listen, come to church listening for the voice of Jesus Christ. Come with all your needs, come with your sins, come with your fears, come with your doubts, uh, come ready to hear the voice of Christ speak to you. Come with your Bible open, your heart open, and your ears ready to hear. And know then that as Jesus speaks to you through his word, Jesus is fulfilling his promise. Because remember what he said in the Great Commission. He didn't just say, go and make disciples. He closed by saying, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And preaching is one of the ways that Jesus is with us to the end of the age. As he comforts and encourages and convicts and calls as he leads us to our eternal home. May God grant that we become increasingly a place where uh, God is experienced in power in a saving way 
through the ministry, the proclamation of the word of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, what a gift you've given to us that you not only sent us a son, but you sent us messengers. For how could we believe on him? Whom, uh, how could we call on him who we've never believed? And how can we believe with, if we never heard? And how could we hear without preaching? Father, thank you for the long line of preachers from the days of Christ and the apostles to, to, till today. I thank you, Lord, particularly for men who are laboring in difficult places, in places of persecution, in places where it's extremely hard. I pray, for Lord, for our missionaries as they minister the gospel. But, Lord, I pray for the church here in the United States as well, where there are so many messages about helpful topics and so few, as it seems, Lord, about that are filled with the power of God and Jesus being revealed and hearts being laid bare. And Lord, even in Reformed churches, we expect so little. And Lord, I just, I just pray that you would lift our expectations, that we would understand your intent in gospel preaching and that we would pray for it we would expect it, and we would, we would have the joy of seeing you use your weak servants, but Lord, by your power, accomplishing your great purposes. And all the glory goes to you. Amen. Let's respond by singing in, uh, from Trinity Hymnal 141, God in the gospel of his Son makes his eternal counsels known. Let's stand together and sing.
to go now into the mission field, receive the word of peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.